Hi, I'm Joseph Feraldi. I want to thank you for joining us here at Bayside Chapel Online. Our prayer is that today's service will be a blessing to you, that it will encourage you in your journey with Jesus Christ, and it will help you to see all that God has in store for you. We would love to hear from you on how God is using this ministry to bless you, and we'd love the opportunity to pray for you. Just send us an email at amen at baysidechapel.org. Remember that you can stay in touch with us at any time. Just visit the App Store and search for our app at Bayside Chapel of NJ. Also, if God is using this ministry to bless you, we'd like to give you the opportunity to partner with us financially. Simply go online to BaysideChapel.org or use the Bayside Chapel app and choose whatever option works best for you. Enjoy today's message. So I want you to imagine a scenario with me this morning. I want you to imagine that you're in a loud Las Vegas casino. I know you didn't think you'd be putting yourself in a casino when you were at church. But imagine that. That's your setting. The year is 1976. You're in the casino, and suddenly all the noise, all the commotion comes to a grinding halt. An announcement comes over the loudspeaker that billionaire casino owner Howard Hughes has passed away. The voice then instructs everyone to please observe a minute of silence out of respect for his passing. So everything stops. The slot machines, the roulette wheels, the poker tables, the blackjack tables, everything comes to a halt. Complete silence fills the room as everyone pays half-hearted tribute to this wealthy business tycoon. 60 quiet seconds tick by. Then a casino supervisor checks his watch and declares as cold and factual as possible, okay, he's had his minute back in business. And just like that, that minute of silence is over. The casino is uh, springing back to life. Everything's as it was. So now here's a question that I want us to reflect on. Is this how you approach worship? Is this the mindset we sometimes carry over into Sunday mornings? Right? Do we pause uh, our busy week to quickly uh, come here for one hour on Sunday and then move on with the rest of our really important business? And that's it. It's the only time that we focus on praising God is the one hour here. See, if you've been a follower of Jesus for any time, that you know what it's like to have those distracted seasons, those, those gloomy seasons, those seasons when it is a little bit difficult to worship. So you go through the motions of mouthing whatever words come up on the screen without ever engaging your heart. You get stuck in this rut of spiritual apathy, fine with giving God his minute, but not going to give him anything more than that. Or you've drifted a bit, right, where there was once a passion and a zeal for God, you're now disheartened. You're entirely distracted. Well, listen, this morning, God is inviting you to shake off whatever uh, spiritual apathy you have, to dust off whatever cobwebs are on your soul, and to dedicate yourself to praising him. So wherever you are this morning, right now, in your journey of following Jesus, God's word to you this morning is praise God with all you've got. 
Praise God with all you've got. So our text today is Psalm 150. It's the last and final of all uh, the Psalms. And it's a Psalm that calls us um, beyond that empty ritual into passionate, fervent praise. Now the song, this concluding uh, Psalm here, um, it brings to a close Israel's songbook, because that's what the Psalms were. It's like that was Israel's hymn book. Um, the Psalms were their songs. So it, it, Psalm 150 brings to a close uh, Israel's hymn book with 13 repeated commands to praise the Lord, praise God, praise Him. He's calling us in this passage, we'll see, to so much more than just 60 minutes of weekly lip service here on Sunday mornings. He's calling us to live lives saturated in praise and soaked in worship. He's calling us to praise him with all we've got. So Psalm 150 is our text. Listen as I read God's word. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. In other words, praise God with all you've got. So we're going to pull out then five commands here that we're going to look at to inform what this praise looks like and to whom it belongs. So the first thing we're going to see is that we're supposed to praise God and him alone. So the psalmist would say, praise him alone. Now see, before the psalmist tells us why God should be praised, where God should be praised, or how God should be praised, he's reminding us first and foremost who should be praised. Who is it that we're praising? the Lord alone. So look at the first three words there in verse one. It says, praise the Lord. Anyone want to take a shot with how you would translate those three words into Hebrew? You, would know, you actually know it. Yada was last week. Hallelujah. Every time you say hallelujah or sing hallelujah, what you're saying is praise the Lord. That's how you say it in Hebrew. Hallelujah. So there, now you could shout that all the more. Hallelujah. So praise the Lord literally means hallelujah. And that comes from um, the Hebrew word halal. Now halal, you'll see it up there uh, on your screen. Um, by the way, Hebrew you read right to left, not left to right. Um, so... It's uh, three words. You have three consonants there. In uh, biblical Hebrew, there were no vowels. Um, they added those uh, like 500 AD, I think. Um, so it starts on the right side. You have your first Hebrew letter, hey, and then in the middle, you have the Hebrew letter, lamed, and on the left, you have the Hebrew let letter, lamed. So hey, lamed, lamed, halal is how you would say that. So halal, and then in hallelujah, you have the halal part, but then you also have the ya part or the ja part which is short for Yahweh. If you were like me and grew up listening to P.O.D., anybody, if anybody remembers that band, um, they would, thank you, they, they would always, in their songs, they're, they're Christians, they would always reference Jah. They would always say Jah. That was their way of talking about God. Um, so Yahweh, 
Um, hallelujah, halal meaning praise, and Jah, uh, again, for the shortened uh, word of, of Yahweh. So we're in our second week then now of Holy Roar. That's a new series that we started last week, and in this series we're looking at uh, eight Hebrew words uh, that are translated in our Old Testament as the single English word praise. But there's eight Hebrew words that are translated praise. So what we're doing in this series is we're uncovering the rich meaning behind um, these Hebrew words. Even though there is a lot of overlap, there are still elements that make each of them a little bit unique. So last week's Hebrew word was yada, like we said. It was the word translated praise. It's a praise that, that publicly declares, that, that, that publicly confesses what God has done for you. And then today's word is halal. So now, let me give you a definition of halal, because halal is the primary Hebrew word um, for praise. So here's a, a little bit of a working definition for, for this particular word for praise. Halal is an exuberant expression of the celebration of God through prayer, music, singing, dancing, a kind of individual or corporate praise that boasts in God. So when the psalmist declares here, praise the Lord, hallelujah, he's reinforcing the truth that there's a powerful yet deeply personal God who desires relationship with his creation. Yah or, or Jah, right, the shortened form of, of Yahweh, um, it, Yahweh is the name that God revealed uh, of himself to Moses at the burning bush. He's the self-existent one, Yahweh. So by choosing his intimate name here, the psalmist is, is calling us to praise the Lord alone. He makes no mistake with which God we're supposed to be praising. Praise the Lord alone. Every time you see in your Old Testament, L-O-R-D in all caps, that is a translation of Yahweh. Um, if you see capital L and then lowercase o-r-d, uh, that's a different term, usually L, a different uh, term for God. Um, but here it's Yahweh, his personal name. Praise the Lord alone. Why? Because he has no rivals. He has no equals. No one else deserves praise but God. He alone is worthy of our exclusive praise. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah? Hallelujah? Yeah, you guys are getting it. So, for a moment, think back on the past couple of weeks. If I asked you to make a list of all the things that you've praised, what are some of the things that you'd write down on that list? All the things you praised over the last two weeks, right? Did you praise your sports team when they won a game? <laughs> Did you praise that celebrity or that influencer who impressed you? Did you praise that politician who passed a law that you liked? Did you praise your kids for their good grades, your colleagues for a job well done, or maybe your little pet for just being so cute? <laughs> See, compared to all the time that, that you've spent offering praise to um, things or, or people, then think about how much time you spent praising God. Are you content, then, with the time that you spent praising God? Because right? he's the only one who truly deserves our highest and our best praise. I love the way Spurgeon said it. He, he said this, he said, to give the least particle of his honor to another is shameful treason. To refuse to render it to him is heartless robbery. 
See, our hearts were made to find ultimate fulfillment in God, in, in the Lord, in Yahweh. Praising anything else leaves us empty, it leaves us lacking, it leaves us always looking for the real thing. So we praise God, and we praise Him alone. So if the first part of verse 1 answered the question, who do we praise? The next part of verse 1 answers the question of where? Where should we praise? Where? To which the psalmist is going to say, praise him in every place, wherever you are. Praise him. He says, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. So first we praise God in his sanctuary. Now in context, this was referring um, to, the, uh, to the Old Testament, uh, the tabernacle or, or, or the temple in Jerusalem. As long as the temple stood, generations of Jews would go up to Jerusalem to worship God in his sanctuary. But with the coming of Jesus and then the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70, uh, the, the sanctuary we praise God in now looks a lot different from the sanctuary that the Jews praised God in. See, our sanctuary is no longer a temple made up of stone, but a church made up of saints. So wherever the saints are gathered, that is the sanctuary. So this is our sanctuary right now, because we're gathered here. So for us to praise God in his sanctuary then means that we must be regularly gathering together in person, next to each other, face to face, flesh to flesh, praising God. Your commitment to be here with us this morning is a commitment to Praise God in his sanctuary, whether or not you realize it. But this short time that we have together on a Sunday morning is not enough to sustain us for the rest of the week, which is why we don't just worship God in his sanctuary, but also in his mighty heavens. The psalmist says, praise him in his mighty heavens. See, from the perspective of the psalmist, the heavens were the highest point in the cosmos. So he's telling us from the holiest places on earth to the furthest reaches of space, Praise the Lord. In other words, praise him in every place. He transcends physical temples. He transcends earthly structures. Nothing in heaven, nothing on earth can contain the glory of the infinite God. As Augustine wondered himself, he said, Heaven and earth do not contain him, yet somehow he contains heaven and earth. So here's what this means. It means that there's no place in your life where God isn't. There's no place in your life where God is not. He's omnipresent, meaning he's everywhere present at the same time, which means that wherever you are, he is. And wherever he is, you have an opportunity to praise him. So do you take advantage of these opportunities? See, the opening of the psalm is, is calling us to join in the, the comprehensive, universal praise of God. There is no place, there's no time, there's no activity of yours that exists outside the boundaries of praise. Everything you do could be an act of praise. At home, at school, at work, at play, your whole life is being summoned into the sanctuary of praise, moment by moment, day by day, breath by breath, God continues uh, to, to beckon you to live a life of praise. Amen. <laughs> I love it, brother. 
See, this is going to be a challenge for us, though. This praising God in every place will be a challenge for us because we tend to compartmentalize praise and worship to one hour on a Sunday morning. But praise isn't a Sunday morning warm-up exercise. It's not. It's the very purpose we were created. I love what Ephesians 1 says. Ephesians 1 tells us that in love, God predestined us for adoption. Why? To the praise of his glorious grace. We're to cultivate then a lifestyle of praise that spills out and bubbles over into every single corner of our existence, wherever we are and whenever we're there. In a small group, in someone's living room, or in a magnificent cathedral in Europe, God is to be praised. Under a tree, along the Amazon, or in jail, like Paul, God is to be praised, even there. In a hiding place, like the catacombs, or in a an underground hidden house church in China, God is to be praised. Make no mistake, the more that you live a life of praise, the more you're going to live a life of change. See, praising God wherever we are not only gives God the praise he deserves, but it changes us. It changes us. Praise helps us to see life from God's perspective. It shapes how we understand things going on in the world. It shapes how we understand our circumstances. It informs how we interact with each other, how we interact with others. And it enables us to represent Christ to the rest of the world. I love how Vance Havner put it. He said, we aren't going to move the world by criticism of it, nor conformity to it, but by the combustion within it of lives ignited by the Spirit of God. So your praise should be contagious. So how, how do we cultivate, then, this kind of nonstop praise? Well, we can begin by creating habits that will turn the moments of our days into opportunities for praise. The more we start to realize every moment is an opportunity to praise, the more we're going to be praising. So as you drive... Talk to God. Thank him for what's going on in your life. Thank him for the beauty of creation. Thank him for the changing leaves on the trees. Thank him for the sunrise and the sunset. At home with your family, praise God for his gift of relationship and spend time praising God together as a family, reading the Bible together or studying it together or discussing it together. At work, you can praise God for the abilities that he's given you to do your job well. You can memorize and you can meditate on his promises. You can listen to praise music wherever you are. In fact, uh, one of our worship team members, Tammy McComb, um, put together a Spotify playlist of some of the uh, like over 30 uh, songs that the worship team plays. So you can worship with us, praise with us throughout the week. Um, so if you want to find that Spotify playlist, you have to go into the Bayside Chapel app, and you have to go into the notes from today's sermon notes. So you already saw it if you're taking notes. If you're not taking notes, go into the notes section of the app, and you'll see a little link there that says click here for the Bayside um, Spotify playlist. So we would encourage you to, to, join, to, to sign up for that and to praise with us throughout the week. So you could then even know the songs that we do on a Sunday. So we can lift one voice to God. So let's make it our aim to let praise permeate every single place we inhabit. As the psalmist would say, praise God with all you've got. We praise him 
and him alone, where we praise him in every place. Well, then verse two answers the why question. Why do we praise God? He answers that and he says, praise God for every reason. Praise him for every reason. Verse two, he says, praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. So imagine with me for a moment that you're out hiking. You're out hiking when suddenly you lose your footing near the side of a cliff. As you plunge downward, certain death seems imminent. But just before you're about to hit the ground, a hand reaches out, grabs your arm, pulls you up to safety, and saves you from destruction. After you catch your breath, what are you going to say to that person? Thank you. You're going to praise that person. You're going to be grateful to that person. Now imagine with me a different scenario. The economy tanks. You lose your job. Your spouse gets diagnosed with cancer. Your child ends up locked up in jail. Crisis after crisis after crisis pounds your family again and again like waves crashing on the shore. Day after day, you cry out to God in desperation, but you don't hear anything. How would you respond then to this situation, to this kind of suffering? Well, the verse here provides a surprising answer for both scenarios. See, in the first case of God's timely salvation, reaching down and pulling us out from certain destruction, we would clearly praise God for his actions on our behalf. What the psalmist would say, praise him for his mighty deeds. But what about in the second case, when life unravels and God seems absent? Well, even then, the psalmist would say we should still praise God. Why? Because of his excellent greatness. See, in the first case, we praise God for what he does, his mighty deeds. In the second case, we praise God for who he is, despite what he's doing even when we don't understand what he's doing. So for every reason, no matter the season, God is to be praised. We praise him first, then for his mighty deeds. What are some of his mighty deeds? What about when he called creation into existence? What about when he led the Jews from their exodus out of Egypt? Or when he brought his people into the promised land? Or when he delivered his people from Babylonian captivity? Or when he restored the city of Jerusalem? Or when he sacrificed his eternal son to make salvation for you and me possible? Or when he raised Jesus from the dead? Or when he sent the Holy Spirit to dwell within us? Or when he provides for us day by day? When he answers our prayers? When he heals our diseases? When he grows our faith? When he unites us together in the gospel? We praise God for his many countless deeds. Amen? We also praise him, though, not only for what he does, we praise him for who he is. We praise him because he is exceedingly great. No one is greater than God. He's the king of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. All other kings, all other presidents, all other rulers will one day bow to him. They'll bow before him, and they'll declare him for who he is. God is the eternal God means he's not bound by time. He's not bound by space. Before the mountains were formed, before the water filled the oceans, before the sunset painted a beautiful picture in the sky for us, God existed. He's also the source 
of all things. By his word, the entire universe leaped into existence. Every star, every planet, every single drop of water originated from God's creative power. Another thing about God is he's both just and loving. He burns with a perfect hatred toward evil, but he also burns with a perfect, unquenchable love for humanity. He's the alpha and he's the omega. He's the alpha, meaning he's first and foremost, and he's the omega, meaning he's the goal toward which all of history moves. Church, how can we not erupt with praise for this great God? He deserves the highest glory. Even in the valley, he's good. Even in the valley, he's deserving of our praise. That's why we need to make a habit of praising God at all times, in all places, especially during hard times. Because what praise does is praise tends to realign our perspective. It helps us see things the way God sees things. Praise lifts us out of the confusion of the present, and it puts us into the eternal reality where God is working out his good purposes. And praise reminds us that our worship, that, that our words, that our praise isn't contingent on our changing circumstances, but on God's unchanging character. Amen. Amen. So when affliction seems endless, we can praise, knowing that God's purposes cannot be thwarted. In our pain, we can praise God for him being our compassionate and loving and gentle healer. In our grief, we can thank God for the hope that we have of the resurrection. When we're lost in uncertainty, we can praise God for his sovereignty. Even in the darkest valley, we have reason to praise See, I think this is one of those things that we can learn from our Jewish brothers and sisters. They know how to praise. They know how to praise. For thousands of years, the Jews have been singing God's praise in their darkest nights. And now we see them going through another dark time. As again, the forces of evil work to bring death and destruction and, and horror to the people and land of Israel. And yet, despite whatever conflict and persecution surrounds them. Realize that in Israel, there's a growing remnant of Messianic Jews in the land, Jesus-loving Jews whose joyful praise demonstrates that no matter what, even in the midst of a war, God is worthy of praise. So before we move on to the rest of the psalm, we're going to pause mid-sermon, um, and we're going to watch a, about a four-minute music video. The music video um, is... By, is by a um, group of Messianic Jews, um, and they're going to uh, sing Psalm 150 and play Psalm 150, but they're going to do it in Hebrew. So a couple things as we watch this song. Take the time to either, one, praise God, reflect on the words of the psalm, because the subtitles will be on the bottom. Number two, you can use the time to uh, pray for Israel, if you'd like. Um, and then another thing is, take a look for how many times you see Hallel as part of a word in this psalm. So let's look at this video, Psalm 150.
pretty amazing, right? So after the first service, someone came up to me and wanted to know who that was. Um, if you uh, go to YouTube and search One for Israel, um, it's a ministry that started in 1990. Um, it's a uh, ministry um, for, for the Jews, um, and it's comprised of mostly Messianic Jews, but also a lot of um, Arab Christians as well. Uh, so it's a really awesome ministry. In fact, they have a lot of other music videos. A lot of them are done um, in a blend of English, uh, Arabic, and Hebrew. Uh, so it's a beautiful thing, especially in light of everything that's going on there, to see that kind of unity uh, in the gospel as the gospel grows. Uh, it's one of the things we look at in Israel. And we look to see, is the gospel spreading? Is there an increasing remnant? Because um, that's a sign. That's one of the things we look for. So God is worthy of praise. Not just in life's sunshine, but also in life's storms, even in wartime. We praise God. We praise him alone. Where? We praise him in every place. Why? We praise him for every reason. Verses 3 to 5 then answer the how question. How should we praise God? And the answer to that is praise him with every instrument. Praise him with every instrument. Listing then in verses 3 to 5 all the various instruments, the uh, stringed instruments, the wind instruments, the percussion instruments. The emphasis here then is that God should be praised in every possible manner. So let's look at verses 3 to 5. It says, Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud, clashing cymbals. I love this verse. There's no such thing as too loud in worship. <laughs> I went to a... Um, I wish I knew this verse when I was a teenager. I went to a Christian school. I lived in Pennsylvania for a couple of years between New York and, and New Jersey. Uh, and it was, a, it was a eighth grade um, legalistic, really legalistic Baptist school. Um, and uh, we, shared, um, we shared a bus uh, with, the pub, with the public school, and I had lots of uh, CDs. Uh, you know, remember those CD players? Uh, Sony Walkman, that's what I had. I would listen to that on the bus. Well, during um, one of the chapels, they went through everybody's backpacks, um, I guess to make sure, you know, we didn't have any drugs or anything. Um, you know, because that's what you do in Pennsylvania when you're in eighth grade at a Christian school. <laughs> but instead of drugs, they found something even worse. They found Christian rock CDs. I was told there's no such thing as Christian rock. And I played the drums. That was my first instrument. Um, they said, that's, that's evil. That's the devil's beat. Um, and I wish I knew this psalm then, because I would have just pointed them back and said, wait, but look, praise him with sounding cymbals, with loud clashing cymbals. It can't get more obvious than that. I love how one commentator explained these verses. He said this, We are to praise God with an orchestra of every kind of instrument. The trumpet with its warlike commanding notes. The lute with its sweet and soothing tones. The harp, gentle and sweet. The tambourine, festive and foolish in its accompaniment of the dance. Stringed instruments of all sorts capture every note and chord in the world of music to honor the great king. Wind instruments too. And the, and the percussion instruments, bless them, especially the crashing, clashing, ear-splitting cymbals punctuating the anthem with loud amens. 
See, God is honored by the diversity of music we bring to praise him. He's honored when his people throughout the ages and across all the nations praise him in all different ways, in all different kinds of languages, as we just got to see. And the list here of musical instruments that are listed in these couple verses shows us that God desires not just a variety of praise, but he desires praise from a variety of different people, of every class and group of people, because uh, the different instruments listed here in verses 3 to 5 were often played by different types of people. The trumpet, for example, the shofar, that was often blown by the priests. And that's Remember, that's the trumpet sound that's going to signal the next event. Amen? We're looking forward to that. But, so the, the trumpet, that was typically blown by, by the priest. Then you have the lute and the harp. Those were often played uh, by the Levites. Then the tambourines uh, were played by the women along with their dancing. And then some of the stringed instruments and the pipe and the cymbals, those were not allocated to anybody. Anybody could join and praise with those instruments. So... Let me ask you, what's your instrument? It doesn't have to be an actual instrument, because no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter your past, you have a unique role to play in God's praise team. What's your instrument? Maybe it's writing songs or or poems of praise to God. Maybe it's dance or, or, or visual art that inspires your awe of God. Maybe it's operating tech equipment behind the scenes uh, so you could provide undistracted worship for others. Maybe it's stepping up to teach children, or maybe it's uh, sharing a testimony of how God completely intersected and transformed your life. Or maybe it's playing an actual instrument. Whatever your gift, whatever your instrument, God wants you to play it wholeheartedly. It was specially crafted by God for you to bring praise to him. So use it, use it to complement the the grand global symphony of worship that's resounding throughout the heavens. And no matter how busted up or broken you think your instrument is, use it. Use it for God's glory. On December 4th, 2017, a diverse group of 400 musicians gathered in Philadelphia to perform Um, a symphony composed by uh, a gentleman, David Lang. Now, this orchestra was very diverse. It it comprised of both uh, amateurs and professionals. There was a nine-year-old boy who played the cello. There was an 82-year-old who was playing the oboe. But here's the real kicker. All 400 musicians each had a broken instrument. Every instrument was broken. 400 musicians gathered. They gathered with chipped, cracked, out-of-tune instruments that are missing parts. Some of them can barely make a sound. Pretty unlikely orchestra. Yet, under the direction of the skilled composer, these broken instruments together began to play a powerful symphony of praise. And as the piece progressed, beauty emerged from the brokenness. Each flawed instrument found a way to contribute a unique voice, which seemed impossible alone became possible together under the guidance of the composer. So what a beautiful reminder this is, that when we bring our broken instruments, however broken or, or frail or, or bad we think they might be, when we bring them to God to be used by him, 
in all its brokenness, our imperfect bodies, voices, and talents, he's going to blend them into a symphony of praise. So God crafted you for a very unique part to play in his global chorus. Find your voice and play it. Let it resound joyfully. Bring your imperfect instrument and let the divine composer make it sing. Praise God with all you've got. Praise him and him alone. Where? Praise him in every place. Why? Praise him for every reason. How? Praise him with every instrument. And then verse 6 answers the who question. Who should praise God? Everyone. Praise him, everyone. Everyone praise God. Look at verse 6. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, did you know that you get about 20,000 opportunities every single day to praise God? You do, because you breathe about 20,000 times every single day. Every breath is a chance to praise. After all, God is the one who gave us breath. It would only make sense then to breathe back to God in praise the very breath that he breathed into us. A Jewish rabbi once remarked, that the name of God, the, the four consonants, um, Yahweh, as we would say them, wasn't made up of letters originally, but only of a series of breathings. The idea being that the name itself, when pronounced, is the sound of breathing. Inhale, it's the Yah, exhale, way. Now, seen this way, I'm not saying that's how God intended it, but it is an astute observation. So seen this way, with every breath we take, we're speaking God's praise. Even atheists, they breathe. See, living breath is an invitation to praise our creator. And since all breath comes from God and his very name can only be pronounced by breath, the psalmist commands, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Church, we were created to praise God. Our praise isn't just a Sunday morning activity. It's the ultimate reason we were given breath. I love the way C.S. Lewis said it. He said, in commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. As followers of Jesus, redeemed and made righteous because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, it's our high and holy privilege to praise God. Let the praise of Jesus be that one persistent, persevering activity in your life. Because the day is coming when another trumpet will sound across the heavens, signaling the return of the king, when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus for who he is. But until that day comes, God calls us to model this kind of joy-filled, nonstop praise as a preview of the coming attractions. So church, make praise the running soundtrack of your whole life, not just on Sunday mornings through the entire range of all of your human emotions and all of your human experiences, Psalm 150 reminds you to burst forth in praise. So wherever you find yourself today, however burdened, however beaten, God is inviting you to praise him. Praise him with all you've got. Praise him alone. Praise him in every place. Praise him for every reason. Praise him with every instrument. Praise him, everyone. Amen. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Let's stand as we get ready to do just that. Father, we, we thank you. Lord, we, we say hallelujah. Praise Yahweh. God, thank you for 
not only being uh, the perfect, magnificent creator who spoke everything we see into existence, Lord, but for being so deeply personal and for desiring a relationship with every single one of us. Lord, my prayer is that praise would be on our lips every single moment of this week. Lord, that you would, by your Spirit, bring to mind all the times and opportunities we get to praise you. Lord, that you would remind us to praise you wherever we are. Whatever's going on in the world, to praise you, even in the midst of war, because we trust you. We trust your plans. We trust your sovereignty. We trust your goodness. And you know what you're doing. Lord, so we, we trust you and we praise you. Through all of it, Lord, may our lips reverberate not only in this building, but in every single place you bring us. Work, school, the grocery store, the bank, our homes, it doesn't matter, Lord. Help us realize that even in those moments, we're still participating in your praise team, lifting praise to you. And God, so now, we say, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. We praise you, God, with everything that we are. And we thank you for this mighty, high, and holy privilege that we get to praise you. All God's children said, amen. amen.